Bible. We'll be looking at Psalm 134 today. This is our last message in our series, Songs for the Journey. We've been going through the Songs of Ascents, these Psalms that are uh, kind of in the, um, go from Psalm 120 to 134, these songs, these Psalms that were sung by God's people as they journeyed to Jerusalem. We've been learning from these Psalms. So, uh, again, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Maybe uh, someone at the back could grab one off the table. Anyone need a Bible? I think I saw a hand. We'll be looking at Psalm 134. And we'll be moving in uh, next week into a mini-series on passing the baton, speaking about what the Scriptures teach us about passing the baton to the next generation, preparing uh, the next generation and, and preparing even our mindset to pass the baton to the next generation, to see them raised up. So we'll be talking about different aspects of that, a uh, four-part mini-series. And then we'll be in the book of Philippians for a while, which I'm very excited about. But for today, our last message in this series, uh, in the songs, uh, songs for the Journey. Uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 134, and just to give you a heads up before we read it, uh, verses 1 and 2 are... Uh, things that the congregation is saying to uh, probably the Levitical servants, the priests and such that served at the temple. This is the last of the songs for the journey, and it's fitting. It it appears that it's a a psalm that would have been sung as they prepared to journey back home after having been there for a feast at the temple celebrating. And and remember, uh, there's just so much meaning, so much truth behind uh, what it means to journey to Jerusalem. This is the place of God's presence. This is the place of uh, where the promises, the focal point of the fulfillment of all the promises to God's people. Uh, it's the place where God's people gather. And we know that, the, that Jerusalem in the Old Testament was really a type, a, 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 a type that looked forward to the new Jerusalem, the ultimate Jerusalem, uh, where, uh, where all the promises will be, will be fulfilled. And the church today is really the new Jerusalem on a journey to becoming the ultimate new Jerusalem when Christ returns. So these psalms are for us as well because we live on a journey to our true home. And this psalm is fitting as we finish the series, as we prepare to continue on our journey. It it directs us, it positions us to live life um, biblically on our journey. So you'll see as we read it, the first two verses are the congregation calling to the servants in the temple. As they go to leave, these servants get to stay there. They get to stay in the temple. They get to minister day and night. And they have a, a high privilege of, of remaining there. And so the congregation is calls to them. And then the last verse is the, the servants in the temple, the priests, call and bless the congregants, uh, even individually, as they go. And so that's what this psalm is about. The title of the message is Bless. And we're going to learn about blessing the Lord and being blessed. But let's pray and ask that God would speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You. For Psalm 134, we thank you for this wonderful psalm that is at the end of this series and how it prepares us to go on the journey, how it prepares us to live life, how it teaches us, how it inspires us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is living and active. It's powerful. And you, the infinite, glorious God, speak to us through your word. And today, Lord, as we Consider Psalm 134, as we are before your word, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. 
Would you speak to our hearts? Would you fill our minds? Would you, would you give us life in you and direct us in your ways? Would you use me, Lord? Uh, this is really a, a task that's um, far beyond me and far beyond us even to receive the benefits. So we ask you, Lord, to come and fill us with your spirit. Thank you for Christ and his blood and righteousness. And we are accepted in your sight and beloved and you want to speak to us. So do this, Lord. Speak and magnify your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 134, three verses. A song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134, 1-3. This psalm, this short psalm, is a call to worship for all of God's people. It's a call, uh, even just in three verses, to live a life of worship. It it speaks of an experience of God's people around the temple, but it isn't limited to just the temple. It's really a a psalm that's to operate throughout our lives, throughout the lives of the pilgrims. And, And it's a psalm that instructs us, inspires us to live a life of worship. To live a life of worship. To worship expressively before God. And to understand that life on a journey in the Lord is a life of worship. It's a life of blessing God and being blessed by God. It's a life, it's a journey of worship, being blessed by God and blessing God. And there's no higher call, and there's no greater privilege, there's no higher call than to bless God. And there's no greater privilege than to be blessed by God. In some ways, Psalm 134 encapsulates what life is about for the believer. What life is to be about for all of God's creation, all of, all of mankind made in His image. To be a life of blessing God and being blessed by God. There's no greater privilege. There's no higher call. Think of it this way, by analogy. If, um, in terms of privilege of call and, and, um, in our lives and privilege of just occupation, think about a job. If you had a job... Um, and you had a job with a wonderful company. And uh, you just had, it was a great company. It was a powerful, wealthy company. And it was just great. It was a great company to work for. Uh, it would be, I think, a privilege for us to, to have such an occupation. We would enjoy it. It would be a call. It would be a privilege to be in such a company where, where we work for someone that was powerful and benevolent. And there are companies out there like that. I, I think of, uh, in its heyday, Digital Equipment Corporation. I don't know, anyone here ever worked for, for DEC? It's heydays. It, great. It was a great company from when I, my brother-in-law worked there. Great company, a, a, a fairly powerful company, and it, and the, it was, had a culture of just uh, benevolence. It was a good place to work. And so it, if you were an employee there, you would have enjoyed working for this company, working under the, the leadership of, uh, is it Dr. I forget his name, Dr. What's his name? Olson. Yes, yeah, sorry, I went blank on his name, um, who was a believer. Uh, well, think about if you had a job that was even better than that. Uh, you had the privilege of working for, I don't know, just make something up. Let's say that, that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett get together. Uh, they're some of the wealthiest men in the world. 
uh, net worth each about $50 billion. Um, so they come together and they say, you know what, we really just we want to set up an organization in the Merrimack Valley. And we want to just pour money into the Merrimack Valley. And we need somebody to work for us who's going to dispense money in charitable work in the Merrimack Valley. And that's going to be you. And you get to do that. That's your job. So you work for a powerful person who's benevolent. A hundred billion dollars of net worth between the two. That just, that's a lot of money. Uh, you'd have to work all the rest of your, your life making a hundred dollars a second to earn that sort, of, that sort of money. Would you enjoy a job like that? Having these resources, being under somebody, and being able to, to, to use the resources. Well, well, I think we can understand in an occupation, in a job, what that would be like. But imagine that you are working for the most powerful monarch ever, the most benevolent monarch ever, and that's your job, your privilege to work for that person. Would you enjoy that occupation? Would you consider your, your call a, a wonderful call? Would you consider it a privilege to work there? Well, for the believer, that is your occupation. You do work for an infinitely powerful monarch, an infinitely good and glorious king. And he calls you to live this life of of enjoying him and blessing him. That's your occupation, actually, to bless him, to worship him, and to live your life and all that you do as worship to him and to receive from him, to be blessed by him. That is your Calling, and that is your privilege. And Psalm 134 teaches us that this is life for us to bless and be blessed by the Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about just two things in here, very simple. Come bless the Lord, first point. Second point, God bless you. Come bless the Lord, God bless you. These are things that Psalm 134 teaches us, and these are of are really the fundamental call of a believer to bless the Lord and be blessed by God. So let's walk through the psalm and learn about this life of blessing and being blessed. Verse 1 starts out, Come, bless the Lord. It's an invitation to come and bless the Lord. Come, bless the Lord. It's calling to the servants of the Lord in the temple, but, but really to all of God's people. Come, bless the Lord. Now, that word bless, we use it, don't we? We use it a fair amount, but I'm not sure if we really understand it. We use it, we, we, we tell people, God bless you. Uh, we say things like, God bless America today, the 10th anniversary of 9-11, appropriately for us to say, God bless America. Oh, that God would bless America more and more. That it awaken America to their need for Jesus Christ. That, uh, that national sorrow and tragedy such as this would point us to, to God and our need for God as a country. That's a wonderful thing to pray today and to say today. God bless America. So we use that word, but I'm not sure if we always understand what bless means. It's, if you think about, well, what do I mean when I say God bless you or, or to bless somebody? Well, in Scripture, uh, the word in, in Hebrew is... Uh, uh, means for bless is derived from to bend the knee and in the part of the Bible that uses Greek it means to speak well of and the picture in the, in these words in their roots uh, is that a picture of a worshiper or a person speaking good of another speaking good speaking speaking praise speaking good of another or doing good for another so to bless is to speak or do good for another basically. Now, the word is used both ways in this psalm, actually. It's in both, uh, each time it's used, 
That's the same word in the original language, but it's used both to speak of speaking good of another and receiving good from another. So it operates both ways. So in Scripture you'll see it both ways. And I want us to think about that a little bit. I want us to think about what this psalm is saying. It's interesting. It calls us, there's an invitation to come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. And then the, the servants of the Lord say, God bless you. Uh, at the end of the psalm. So it talks about God blessing us. But we have to understand that, that the, the difference in these blessings is profound. The difference between us blessing God and God blessing us is profound. That, that we, don't, we don't live in an equal partnership with God. Our relationship with God is not an equal partnership. It isn't like we bless Him and, and then we get exchange, He blesses us. And He kind of needs us to bless Him and, and we need Him to bless us. And there's this equal exchange. He's, he's not our buddy that we work for. He's not the guy that you share a newspaper route with. He's not on your bowling team. He isn't your buddy. He's God. It's an unequal partnership. This isn't a mutual exchange with God in this blessing and being blessed. Have you ever had a relationship with somebody maybe that way where there's just not a mutual exchange? Um, have you known somebody who's really wealthy, powerful? Um, have you ever had a relative maybe like that? I, I, I've had some like that, that uh, it's really hard to buy them gifts uh, at their birthday and Christmas time because, because your idea of a gift is going to Marshall's and looking on the discount table for one of those soap kits or something like that, discount soap kits, and this person's idea of a gift is going down to Newberry Street and walking in Gucci or Chanel or whatever, one of those places and buying you know, retail clothing. That's their gift. And, and so when it's their birthday, it's like, well, what do I do? How do I get this person a gift? There's not an equal partnership here. Even more so with God. God, God, is, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God uh, owns all the riches, all the power, all the glory. All things belong to Him. He has everything. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't sit around feeling low in self-esteem, waiting for you to come on a Sunday and tell Him how good He is. He's existed far before you ever existed. He's been self-satisfied in His glory and perfection forever and ever and ever. It's not an equal partnership. It's not an exchange here. Acts 17 says, I think we have this to reject, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all men life and breath. And everything. God doesn't need your praises. God doesn't need to be blessed by you. He's not waiting for that. Our blessing of God is not an equal exchange with God. It's not God finding His unmet needs in us. Our blessing of God is the glad praise and thanksgiving of those who realize how good and how great He is and must share from the overflow of their hearts the worth and excellence of God. Our blessing of God is the overflow from our lives when we consider how good and great God is. It's the expression to God from the overflow of encountering a God who is so good and so glorious. It's not giving to God something that He needs. It's our, the overflow. It's the blessing of a relationship with us. 
God certainly enjoys our praise. I don't mean to say that. When I say that he's self-satisfied, I don't mean he's smug. I don't mean that he's in heaven just like, yeah, 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 another praise song. Okay, I've been there, done that. He's not, he's not doing that. That's not what he's like. He doesn't need our praise, but he, he's an amazing, gracious God. And he invites us in to, to enjoy his glory and his, his greatness, his kindness. He invites us in. His, his glory, who he is, is, is such that he must share his glory and invite us in to him. And when we praise him, he doesn't need our praise, but he loves our praise. He enjoys it. I, I think of it maybe as uh, what it's like to be a dad when your kids are little and, and it's Father's Day and they go to Sunday school and they make one of those crafts for Father's Day. Do you know what I mean? Those crafts with the pop, popsicle sticks and the, the macaroni painted gold and, and all put together and it, it means something. Uh, you're not quite sure what it means, but you know, it, you know that your child loves you and that's what it's about. You don't need the popsicle sticks and the, and the gold painted macaroni, do you? You don't need it. But you love your child. And you enjoy the, the relationship. That's what's going on with the Father. That's what's going on with God. And so the blessing that we give to God is not because God is needy. It's because He wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him and to know Him and to exchange with Him, to love Him and see how good He is and express that to Him and live in that expressiveness and receive blessing from Him in return. It's amazing that God so condescends to us that He invites us in to know Him and to know His glory and to be united with Him in the Trinity. I mean, it's amazing. He invites us in. We, we have nothing to offer God, really. But He loves for us to come to Him, to depend on Him and His mercy, to see Him in His glory, and to tell Him how much we love Him and to enjoy Him. And there's a benefit in this, that, that praise to God, that giving Him to blessing God. And, and blessing God in this context, there's a, there's a wide range of how this uh, can be understood, but blessing God is speaking in this context of actual praise to God, of, of words spoken and physical expression given in adoration of God. That's what's going on here. And God calls us into that because our praise and enjoyment of God is not complete unless we express it. Our praise and enjoyment of God is not complete unless we express it. C.S. Lewis has written about this as, he's, as he did meditations on the Psalms and uh, his book on the, on the Psalms. Listen to what he says as he speaks of this. Listen, and I may read this twice because it's real dense. He's an English guy and says a lot in a sentence. But just listen as he, as he reflects on this. He says... It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. If it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude, supreme happiness. 
to experience something that is worthy and to give it expression is what we're called to, is what worship is. And it is the completion of our enjoyment of the thing. We understand that in life. That's what Lewis is getting at. We do that in life. If we can't tell someone about how great that view is or how wonderful our spouse is or whatever it might be, if we can't express it, it's it's incomplete. It's frustrating. Your relationship with God is incomplete unless you express your praise to Him. Your relationship with God is incomplete unless you express your praise to Him. You can think big thoughts about God. You can have great understanding about God. But if you don't express it, words, appropriate physical expressions, if you don't express it, your relationship with Him is incomplete. To bless God is not to somehow benefit Him as, he's, as if He's some parasite living off our praises. It's to fulfill and enjoy the very purpose, the very purpose of your existence. It's to bring you mutual joy in the One who is most worthy of praise. Listen to Lewis as he continues. To see what the doctrine really means, we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drunk with Drowned in, dissolved by that delight which far from remaining pent up within ourselves as incommunicable, hence hardly tolerable bliss, flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy is no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness of a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. They go together. I hope that made sense to you. Lewis is saying they go together. They go together to, to love God, to, to see Him in His glory, to, to, to worship Him involves expressing that, praising Him, blessing Him. They go together. It's incomplete until we do them both. To glorify God is to enjoy Him. To enjoy Him is to glorify Him. Psalm 134 invites us, Come, bless the Lord. Come, bless the Lord. Come, praise God. Come worship God and find your joy complete. Blessing God is the expressing and experience the fullness of enjoying God in His goodness and greatness. Now the psalm calls the servants of the Lord to come bless the Lord. Now it's not saying that only those are, who are in the temple are to bless the Lord. There's, there's more to it. But uh, it, it's calling in this particular case, in the original Context, calling these temple servants to bless the Lord. These guys are those that serve in the house of the Lord. They are Levites. And they have the wonderful privilege of serving day and night there. And so there's a sense, it looks like as the people are getting ready to go to their homes, they're, they're saying, you guys, you guys have this wonderful job. Day and night you serve here. And as we go home, uh, come bless the Lord. It, it, it's, it's understandable and, and, and obvious and, and 
And you must do this. You get to see the Lord. You get to behold Him in the temple. You get to consider the truths here. Come bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Make it your joyful occupation, day in, day out. That's the call from the congregation to these servants of the Lord. They were in this privileged place of continual worship. It was their job to lead and worship and to worship day and night in the temple, bringing sacrifices, bringing praise, bringing thanksgiving, singing songs. Perhaps even that we could say there was a holy jealousy on the, people of, on the part of the people of God towards these temple servants who get to stay there and bless the Lord. Well, I have some good news for you. If you belong to Christ, if you have turned from sin and trusted in Christ, if you are a believer, you are a servant of the Lord who dwells in the temple day and night. You don't have to ever leave the presence of God. God Himself lives in you. And when you come together with other believers, He dwells amongst you. He's there with you corporately. And so you never have to journey away from the temple. He is, he is ever with you. And you, you have the privilege of knowing Him day and night in every moment of life. And so the call for us as, as those who have fulfilled, who have experienced the fulfillment of these promises is to come bless the Lord day and night, to live a life where we bless the Lord, we, where we express our praise and our gratitude to God all the time. And that's a privilege. And it's part of our joy as we know the Lord and experience Him to bless Him. So whatever you do, wherever you are, on a Sunday, in small group, in private or family devotions, at work, on the job, at home, putting gas in your car, putting food on the table, we're ever in the presence of God. And we're called to bless the Lord, to worship Him, to thank Him. And you can do that on all those occasions. It can be prayer. Lord, help me with this. It can be Thanksgiving. Lord, thank You. Thank You that I have money right now to put gas in my car. You're so good. Thank You for automobiles. Thank You that that You made fossil fuels. Thank You that we have nice roads to drive on. Thank You for all the benefits. I mean, you can just go on and on and on, and maybe you'd look like a crazy person at the pump, but but there's, there's always reason to bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord in all that you do. To know Him is to live this life on the job, at home, small group, everywhere. Come Bless the Lord. Live a life of worship. Express to Him His worth, His glory, your gratitude. We are the servants of the Lord now who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Look at verse 2. The congregation calls to these people who are in this privileged place, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The call is for them to lift up the hands, that, that the, these worshipers are to lift up their hands and worship. And, and the biblical expression of prayer and worship is the lifting of hands. It's the lifting up of hands to the Lord. That's biblical. That's, that's common. And historically, that's been how the church has worshipped. Um, the hand folding thing actually came like kind of later on, and, and now that's kind of seen as a standard thing. I, I would argue that let's not make hand folding. Nothing wrong with hand folding, by the way. If you want to fold your hands, you can. But, but let's make this our standard way of expressing. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a broad range of ways to express praise to the Lord, but we must express our praise to the Lord. If we don't express our praise to the Lord, be it lifting up of hands, 
be, be it raising of hands, be, be it folding perhaps at times, be it kneeling, and even at appropriate times, dancing. If we don't express our praise for God, then our, then our praise and enjoyment of God is incomplete. Hear that. It's incomplete. Think about it in marriage. For those of you who are married, imagine if you said to your spouse, I love you. You said that. And then maybe didn't say it for a while. And there was no other expression. Maybe a handshake here and there. Would your spouse rightly question your love for them? You could say you love your spouse all you want. You could say, oh, you don't understand how devoted I am to you. I've been reading up on you. I've been studying you. I know all about you. I, I know I, I've, I've done the theology of my spouse. I know everything about you. I understand. And, and, and you just have to accept that my, this is who I am. I'm quiet in my devotion to you. You're not going to get away with that, are you? It's appropriate to express. You, you need to let your spouse know. And it's part of your enjoyment of your spouse that you express that in, in words, in, in, in physical expressions, hopefully more than a handshake, other ways, hugs and so forth. That You are to be physically expressive in, the, in your love. And that is where, in a sense, your enjoyment of that love is made complete, is it not? Thus with the Lord as well. For some strange reason, this thought has been introduced to the church that the, the, it's more worshipful to be, to be constrained and just sit still. Now, there's a place to sit still. I don't mean to say there isn't. But somehow it's more respectful to be still and not express it. And so people come to church with that idea. We grow up in that. And we, and we just feel like it's really awkward. I don't want to be expressive here. I'm not allowed to be expressive here. It's just not in the culture. And that's just not... Biblical. It's not. It's not biblical to come before the Lord in one of the high points of worship in the week, our Sunday experience, or, or wherever, whatever, whatever other context, small group, private devotions, family devotions, to come and think that it's, just, it's better to be still and quiet the whole time. That's, that wouldn't work in marriage. It, it isn't to be how it is in the church. It would be tragic in marriage. It's even more tragic to consider minimal physical expressiveness in Christian worship the standard. The Bible calls us, it invites us to enjoy God, to bless the Lord, to express that. And in that expression, to see our joy made complete. You can love God in your understanding. You can love God in what you understand in your heart, but you're missing out if you don't love God and expressing to Him with words and with appropriate expressions. The worship of the Lord. Now, granted, I understand that there are contexts where we can be expressive to the point of distraction. If if I just kind of got up on stage and started doing cartwheels across the stage during worship, um, I think I would become the center attraction, especially when I would trip and hurt myself. So yes, granted, there's a place where it can be a distraction, but you know what? I, I just don't think that's a concern for us right now. We're not there. Uh, I don't need to address this one. When we get there, I will. We will, together. So when we start seeing cartwheels, we'll address it. But it's just not my concern right now for us. My concern for us is that we be appropriately expressive for the sake of your joy in the Lord and for the sake of the Lord's work in us and for the sake of what it means for the rest of the week, and our fruitfulness, and for the sake of understanding that this is life for us, 
to enjoy God and glorify Him, to know Him, to express our praise to Him, to outdo what goes on in the ball fields. That's just, I'm not saying we should be like the ball field. But boy, people are expressive at the ball field. And, and, and when I get in the discussion that, um, that New Englanders are just more composed, I say, no way, baloney. That's not true. I've been to Fenway Park. I haven't been to Foxborough Stadium yet. If you have extra tickets, let me know. Um, <laughs> but I know when, when, when people are there, they're expressive, and they're New Englanders. They're, they're kind of crazy even. So it's not a New England thing, but I think it's a church culture thing that we need to work through and past and hear the call of God. I don't want you guys to be doing this because Pastor Paul kind of got on you about being expressive. I want you to hear because Psalm 134 calls you to come bless the Lord. There's no... There's no better reason to be expressive than the Lord and what He's done for us and who He is. There's nothing better. I mean, if we can get excited about men in tights moving inflated pigskin up and down a grass field, then then we can get excited about something much more worthy than that. And I like football, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, But it's so much more appropriate for us to express to God His worth, His greatness, to enjoy Him in it. That's the call of Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. That's what the congregation is calling to the servants of the Lord. That's what God and the heavenly hosts in heaven, who right now are, are not inhibited in any way, are calling to us, King of Grace Church. Come bless the Lord. Lift your hands. Enjoy Him. Give Him His glory due. Give Him his, the praise that is due His name. Enjoy Him. Bless the Lord. And then the psalm finishes with this wonderful last section where they bless the people. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. And it's just a picture of this wonderful exchange. This wonderful exchange as we bless the Lord, as we, as we come and, and worship Him. and He has blessed us. And there's a blessing on God's people. And, the, and the, the temple servants are blessing the people. And the you there actually is an individual you. There's you plural, there's you singular. Uh, and it's a you singular. So they're blessing each pilgrim on their way back, saying, God bless you, each one of you. Bless you from Zion. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. And, and, and that phrase, may the Lord bless you from Zion, is, is, is pregnant with meaning. It's full of meaning. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Zion is that mountain, right, where Jerusalem uh, sits. It's that place where the temple is. And so when they say, may the Lord bless you from Zion, they're speaking about all that Zion means, all that the temple, all that, all that is meant in that phrase. And, and we've been going through this series. We've been learning about what is meant by Zion, what is meant by the temple. And there's a lot, and I can't go through it all. But, but, but at the core, the, the, the most important aspect of Zion is the temple itself. And the most important aspect of the temple is what goes on in the temple. God resides there, and God has made provision for His people to reside there. That's what the temple, summed up, is about. God resides in the temple, and He has made provision through the temple, that His people may reside there with Him. And and essential to that provision is the sacrifices that went on in the Old Testament. This is the place where God abides. It's the very footstool of God. And God has called His people to make sacrifices because He wants His people to be with Him. But He's a holy God. He's holy. He's 
good. He's perfect. He's flawless. There's no sin in Him. There's no darkness in Him. Only light. Everything about Him is perfect and good and right. And if we are honest with ourselves, which we don't like to be, and if we see ourselves in light of perfect goodness, we recognize we fall short. And all of us, I'm sure, even come together on a Sunday with this sense of failure over the past week. I've failed. I've failed in what I've done and what I've failed to do. Sins of commission and omission. And if we're able to look at our lives truthfully and wholly, and thank God I think He restrains us from seeing everything at once, we would be dismayed with who we are. God grant us light to see our need for atonement. We are sinners and the wages of sin is death. God in His justice, in His holiness, in His goodness must, must deal with sin, deal with this rebellion, deal with this awfulness, this evil by exiling it, by putting it away from His good and holy presence and allowing the, all the consequences of being separated from the only source of goodness to flow. That is death. And it is something experienced right now. It's something experienced as we sin. There's always a sting, a touch of death in our sin. And if you are living in sin, you are living in death. If you are pursuing sin, let me tell you, you're pursuing death. The wages of sin is death. The Lord has made provision. He's made provision. In His great love and His mercy, He wants His people to be with Him. And so in the Old Testament, the provision was through the shedding of blood. Hebrews says unequivocally, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There must be life for life. Life must be given to pay the penalty of sin. And so these sacrifices of animals spoke of life being given, of blood being shed to cover the sins of His people. And so that temple was a place where blood, where, all, where sacrifices were made. And, and once a year, the high priest would go into that inner sanctum, that holy of holies, the place of the ark, the, the footstool of God, and sprinkle blood on that seat. And that blood spoke of the forgiveness for the high priest and for the people of Israel. This is at the core of what the temple's about. God's presence and God's provision for His people through the blood of the animals. But that atonement that was done, that payment for sin, that satisfaction of God's justice that was done was an imperfect atonement. And it looked forward to the more perfect one. It looked forward to the fulfillment of, of the ultimate Lamb slain for sin. Look forward to Jesus. All along, God knew what He was doing. He had a plan. He had a plan for ultimate provision for us in Christ to, to actually offer Himself to come as a man, God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and live a perfect life that needed no atonement. A perfectly righteous life that, that earned, earned the favor of God. A perfectly righteous life that was obedient to the point of death on a cross. His obedience was, was throughout His whole life and it... it, it the apex of His obedience was on the cross. That He would go to the cross, the most horrible thing, and bear on the cross the wrath of God for your sins, for my sins, for His people's sins. He bore that wrath. That was obedience to perfection. And He offered up His life to pay for your sins. He shed His blood for you. He gave His body for you. He paid for your sins. He's made provision. 
for you in Christ. And he just asks you to turn, turn from your sin. Turn from pursuing death and receive that forgiveness. Receive that life. If you're a believer, that's to be your regular experience, turning and receiving once again. It doesn't mean that you become a Christian and unbecome a Christian. It means that as a member of the family in Christ, you must continually go to your forgiveness, to the, the fountain of your forgiveness, the fountain of truth, and receive afresh the reality of your forgiveness and walk in new life. If you're not a believer, the invitation is right now, right, right here, right this moment. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ and receive that forgiveness, receive that provision to come into the presence of God and live life every day in His presence. To be a privileged servant in the temple, serving by night in the house of the Lord, blessing the Lord. So when they say, may the Lord bless you from Zion, that's the fullness of what they're saying. And we know that fullness. So as we read this psalm and it says, may the Lord bless you from Zion, hear that. Hear, may the Lord bless you from the cross. May the Lord bless you from the empty grave. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May the Lord bless you individually. And that is the foundation of everything else, actually, even though it comes at the end in this psalm. You are able to bless the Lord because He has blessed you from Zion. The One who's made heaven and earth, the all-powerful One, He has blessed you. And as you go on your journey, you are blessed by Him. The band can come up as we close. God has blessed you in Christ. It's amazing. The blessings we have in Christ are innumerable and un- incomprehensible. And, and, and the Lord wants us to understand the, the richness of our blessing. And He wants us to receive it and live in it every moment and every day. To live in that blessing and to bless Him in return. To understand, to deepen in our understanding. Uh, Romans 8, 1 speaks of this. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The Lord blesses us in Christ. And He gives us all things. And He is intent and committed to bless us in all things. He's made that clear by blessing us, by giving us His Son. And He will give us all we need as we walk with Him and all the things of our journey and all the aspects and the trials and in the good times, He's there to give us all things, to bless us. If you are a believer, you are blessed by the Lord. This is your life. You have been blessed and you're called to bless Him. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. May He fill your mouths and hands and life with worship and the inexpressible joy of delighting in Him above all and in all things. Lord bless you. Let's stand and bless the Lord.